At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, From Him, Through Us, For All, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. So glad you're here. It's so good to have some of you back with us. Man, it's been a long 16 years since we've seen you, however long it's been. Man, it's awesome. So glad you're, you're here today. Today's a special day as we get to celebrate communion together. So we're going to uh, have time as we build towards it. I mean, that is really, truly our climax for our worship experience today as we work towards the reality of gathering our, uh, not just our people together, but gathering together around the Lord's table to say that this is what unites us, is the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we've got juice and, and bread prepared for us today to celebrate uh, the broken body of Jesus. Uh, but before we do that, I would like to just give one more. Bill mentioned there's a lot of things going. Well, let me give you another one. Um, is Woodside, as you know, is one church in many different communities. Uh, Woodside became multi-site back in 2005 when Woodside Bible Church in Troy merged together with the church in Warren, Redeemer Baptist Church. Uh, and they became then two locations, the Woodside of Troy and Woodside of Warren. Since then, since 2005, we've become 14 campuses in 14 different communities throughout Southeast Michigan. And we have always been open to God. What do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? It's been our desire to strengthen the church, uh, to come alongside of lighthouses, to help them uh, shine brightly in their communities. And, and Woodside serves every week various churches. You need to know that. Um, it's not just the Woodside campuses that, um, that we seek to, to resource, but many, many churches throughout the state and beyond uh, come to Woodside for some guidance and insight and, uh, and, and collaboration. But then God seems to raise uh, a congregation to a, a, a whole nother level and uh, that's happened recently in conversations with the church down in Riverview, Michigan, which is Wyandotte area. Um, Legacy Church uh, has been in conversation with Woodside for the last probably 18 months. And God has made clear through their church as well as our, our elders uh, that a merger could very well be part of his plan for us. And so after a lot of consideration, a lot of prayer and, and, um, and visits and researching, uh, the elders approved last month to recommend to our congregation uh, to enter into another merger. This would be the 15th campus of Woodside as the campus there in Riverview is formed through the merger of, of Legacy Church. Um, we've got a lot of information for you. Uh, Bill is a great information guy. He's going to hang out over at the info desk today. Um, he, he can answer some questions. You'll see online, and we'll send an email this week with some of those frequently asked questions. Um, and then as they come up, feel free to talk to Bill or I about what that means. Um, here's, as your pastor, here's what I would say. Would you please begin praying for God to reveal to you 
anything that he's planted in your life that could be a part of that, that merger. What I mean is maybe you have friends in that Riverview area. Maybe you have family. Um, maybe, maybe you have connections there. Maybe, maybe this is just going, oh yeah, they live down in Riverview. I should let them know. Or maybe God would say to somebody here at Woodside Algonac, would you consider being a part of the Riverview merger? Every campus has benefited from that. We at Algonac, we've had, uh, when we started, we had about 20 people come from other campuses to join us here in Algonac. For, they committed to, to a year of just helping us get started. Maybe that's something God would have you do. It's only an hour and a half drive. <laughs> Unless you take the boat, right? And it's only like 30 miles. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see what God does. But I encourage you to be praying that God clarifies his vision and that he raises in each one of us. God, have you implanted something in my life, a relationship or an opportunity or a talent that you want me to invest into this into this merger. It'd be cool to see how God answers that prayer. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you would turn there with me in your Bibles, uh, as we are beginning to wrap up this series we started about four weeks ago that we call Overflow. This incredible principle of living the Christian life when you realize that God pours so much into you through his presence that he allows ministry to flow out of you. You don't have to conjure up all this stuff to, to be a part of what God's doing. You simply allow Jesus to fill you to overflowing and ministry becomes flowing out from his presence in you. It's a beautiful concept. And, and there's a really cool aspect of it today that I, I'm, I'm excited about sharing with you. But first, let me, let me give you a glimpse into how God has called me into ministry. And some of you have heard this story, some of you haven't. Um, but God's been really patient with me, um, just, just asking me, just take a step, Dan, and I'll, I'll trust me with the rest. Right? He doesn't get, necessarily launch me into something that, wow, 60 years down the road, I see it, I'm going. It's like, okay, tomorrow, Lord. So I, I, I go there. And that's kind of my call to ministry, is as a senior in high school, as I was flipping through college catalogs, trying to identify what career should I go into. And mom saw me doing that, and she said, hey, have you ever thought about being a youth pastor? I said, no. She said, well, you just like serving at church all the time, so I just wondered. So she left the room, and I thought, what would that even be like? Well, Cedar Point. <laughs> That's good, right? And like, Eating food with the youth group after church on a Sunday evening. That sounds cool. You know, I could do that. So I started flipping through some catalogs about what, what, what schools offer that kind of thing. How do you take kids to Cedar Point and have food after church? And so I found a school that seemed to do that. So I, I began to study, and, and God just be, gradually began to place me in different places of ministry. So I joined this group that was every Saturday we'd go into the inner city um, at a basketball court, and we would just do ministry where we'd, we'd play basketball, we'd get schooled typically by, by people, and then we'd say, hey, can we, 
Can we spend some time as we're, you know, now exhausted and we talk about Jesus? As I uh, did my schooling, there was opportunities to teach the word and different things. And it just seemed like, wow, this is, this is seemingly tapping into something that gets me really excited. And pretty soon I, get th- I thought less and less about Cedar Point and more and more about making disciples of, of people and young people. But I think a key part of my calling came at a tragic event when my little brother was killed in an accident, school bus accident. Um, he was driving home from school with a busload of 30 other kids, and on a winter day in Kalamazoo, Michigan, the bus flipped, and my brother lost his life tragically in that accident. And that created a faith crisis in me where I had to wrestle through, can I really trust God? A God who would allow something like this to happen to such a beautiful young man. My younger brother was fully committed to Jesus. So why would God allow this in his life? It was several months of of wrestling through that. And suddenly, by God's grace, I came to the recognition that David lived his life, his full life, devoted to Jesus Jesus brought him home to his reward, but there is still so much ministry to do. That's what I, when I started, when I stopped shaking my fist at God and began to look to the future to say, well, okay, so God's given me more time. Wouldn't it make sense for me to then pour my life into serving Jesus like my, like my brother did? And as I began to wrestle through that, I, I began to think, there... There's nothing more important than this. That to redeem the rest of my life, as long as God gives me breath, to serve in Jesus and to helping more people know him. And it was from that faith crisis that I committed my life to ministry. I didn't know what that meant. I knew one thing. I knew I would never, I could never be a pastor because, you know, I would never have those types of abilities that were needed for that. So I knew that wasn't part of it. But outside of being a pastor... I wanted to live my life for Jesus. I committed my life to serving. Years later, as I'm studying in Scripture, this passage in particular, I came across this concept of expanding my understanding of what that means, a call to ministry. What does that mean? That it also includes a call to give what God has given to me. That if I'm truly called to serve Jesus, then I'm called to give what God has given to me. Giving could mean a lot of things. Giving to God could mean paying my bills. Giving to God could care for people in my family. Giving to God could invest into ministry, but using everything that God has given to me as ministry for Jesus. And I have found such great joy in experiencing that. I don't always. You know, there's plenty of times when I start to look at a bank account and part of that is mine. Or some of, this, some of the stuff that God provides to me, I start to misinterpret as who the owner truly is. I look at a piece of paper like a title and try to identify ownership from a title. But the reality is, God brings me back to that, that understanding of, wait, no, this is God's. 
And any tried, anything I try to own, I make a mess of. So instead, how about if I manage and I steward and everything God provides for me, I use for ministry. I want you to think about that this morning in your own life. Because here's what I believe. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to the ministry. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to the ministry. That's why you still have breath. That's why your heart continues to beat. Because he says, I have ministry for you to do for me. And here's the thing. Giving isn't money. Giving is ministry. Or you could say ministry is giving. It's taking what God has given to you and using it for his ambition. Let's press into this. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'd like to read the first seven verses, and then we'll come back and, and make some comments about it. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you. In other words, it's re, it would be redundant for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. There's that word. It would be redundant for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. Your zeal has stirred up most of them, but I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to see nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul says, it would be redundant for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. As we give our lives to ministry, we are giving our life to a spirit of giving. Again, let me remind you of what this passage is about. There was a crisis happening in Jerusalem. Believers there were in poverty. Many of them were facing starvation. So Paul was burdened for them, and he challenged all these new churches to look at how God had prospered them, gather some gifts so that they could all send them back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been so generous with the gospel, sending the gospel through the apostles to the various reaches of the world. And now those churches that were formed have an opportunity to now give back in a spirit of generosity. So Paul had called them to that. And now is coming back to say, okay, it's time to give. I don't have to talk much about what giving is because we've already talked about that. In the first letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he wrote to them this. He says, so on the first day of the week, let us lay aside as God has prospered us. 
On the first day of the week, he challenged them, put aside a gift so that when we come, the, the gifts will be ready. There's a couple things there. First of all, there's a secular aspect to this, or maybe a cultural aspect, and then there's a spiritual aspect. He said on the first day of the week, in that culture, it was on the first day of the week would be their first expression of their giving, right? So the week ends on a Friday. Typically in that culture, they would be paid on a Friday. How many get paid on a Friday? Here? Okay, two of you. All right. We'll try to imagine on a Friday, you, you, you get your paycheck. For the Jewish community, the, the Saturday would be the day of rest. And then that Sunday, the first day of the week, would be a day they gather for worship. So Paul says, on the end of the week, take your, take your gifts, and before you start spending it on yourself, lay aside a gift so that you don't get to the end of the week and say, oh, another week went by and I just don't have anything left. Because the thing is, God wants to be honored with the first fruits of your increase. Right? That's our way of communicating our faith in God to say, God, I believe you will provide for the rest of the week. I believe so much that I'm going to give my gift to you first. And then I'll be able to have the joy of watching you provide for my needs. But first things first, my first fruit goes to him. So Paul, Paul says to the Corinthian church, so here's how I want you to give. This is a way that honors God. Honor him with your first fruits on that first day of the week so that God can care for you the rest of the week and you can give him credit for it all it's not your great spending or your saving or spending whatever it's God's taking care of you because of the first fruits but then he said you've also had a spirit of eagerness or of readiness he says oh, I don't know if you've done that in this book of second Corinthians he says I'm not I'm not I don't know how many of you have been faithful at this but the guys are coming to gather the gift, and I don't want them to come and you to be embarrassed, to say, oh, you know I intended to do that, but I didn't, and here's, what do I have? I've got a five, there, that help. Paul says, I don't want you to be embarrassed by this, because the reality, the Macedonians, those are the ones that were living in poverty, they heard about this opportunity, and they're, they're, they're from the lower social class, but they said, even though we're in poverty, we're going to give out of that poverty towards this need in Jerusalem. The Corinthians were not an impoverished people. The, the, the city of Corinth was an important trade city right on this canal that cut through this, this peninsula of land to take all the resources through the, the Roman Empire. So they had an abundance. In fact, historians tell us that there was plenty of opportunities to rise in your social class in the city of Corinth because of so many opportunities. So this was not an impoverished church. Paul says, I don't want you to be embarrassed that you have so much and you're ready to give so little. So prepare yourself, lay aside so that anytime there's a need, you can meet that need because you have been disciplined in your preparation. So essentially, Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, living a life of ministry means you're committed to give. That you make that commitment 
to give, that it's a pattern of your life. Now, now here in our culture, it's just so easy to do, right? With so many, uh, we have regular income and there's consistency and such things. We live in an abundance in our culture. I know our family is taking advantage of the online giving so that it's regular. So I get paid on a Friday, me and the two other people here in the room get paid on a Friday. Sunday morning is designed so that my, my tithe is given to the Lord. I get a text every Sunday morning where I can celebrate I gave to the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. Before all these other bills come up, we gave to the Lord first. Some of you do that through the giving boxes. That that's part of your expression of worship. That when you come in to sing and worship and, and um, hear, be under the word, you also bring a gift and place it in that giving. But just a regular pattern of giving. God's honored by that. That disciplined, structured life of giving to God as he's called us. Secondly, Paul describes the, the spirit of giving with a, with a preparation to give. Verse 3 says, I want you to be ready. I want you to live a lifestyle that leaves room for generosity. You see, a spirit of giving begins more, begins earlier than when there's that opportunity to give. A spirit of giving causes a person to be careful of financial commitments. That what, for a follower of Jesus, there are those things that you think about that, well, do I need that big of a boat? or that big of a house, or that new of a phone, or what, whatever all these expenses are, because a, a follower of Jesus doesn't want to structure their finances so stringently there's no room for generosity. That we recognize that though the bank will say, well, you qualify for 66% of your income to go to your new mortgage. Instead of, instead of that, you realize, well, that wouldn't allow me to live with a spirit of giving because God's called me to ministry. And so what commitment can I make so that there's room for generosity? And then he says, a follower of Jesus, those committed to ministry, number three, give cheerfully. Which I love this. Listen to this, verse five. He says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift that you've promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, and this is just such an easy thing to, to understand. Whoever sows sparingly, if you plant three seeds, you will also reap sparingly. You'll get three plants. Whoever sows bountifully, if you plant a bushel of seed, you will also reap bountifully. You'll reap a field of harvest. Each one must give, not as Paul says, not as what the pastor said. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, God wants your heart. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your things. God's, God wants it all. The whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it is what the psalmist wrote. So God doesn't need these things from us, but he wants our hearts. 
So as you commit your life to him, and everything that you have you consider as his, and then you use it for his resources, you can have this incredible joy that says, because I know the harvest is going to be worth it. Here's the thing. I know we don't live in an agrarian culture here in Algonac much, but we got a farmer in the house. Where are you, Farmer John? Where are you? Oh, he's working security. Hey, John, outside. He's farming. Exactly. There's not a lot of farmers in the house, but I'll bet we can understand that there's probably not a lot of farmers that when it comes time to plant their seed, they do it crying and weeping. Right? Think of a potato farmer. Right? He doesn't go out to the fields and say, these spuds, I can't believe I'm just throwing them in the dirt. They put them in the ground and cover them up. They go, oh, I lost another spud. And you plant another one and they go, oh, no, that's two. And you put in, we could have had a meal with those three potatoes. But no, I put them in the ground. That's ridiculous. Why? Because those spuds are going to produce dozens of spuds. Right? So you know there's this reality of, I'm not risking anything. I'm not, I'm not losing anything. That's all invested into the Lord of the harvest, the one who even came up with this idea of seeds being planted and dying and sprouting and rising and producing abundant fruit. It's his plan. It's his desire. So when I plant, I know it's a win. Paul says that's how it is as a believer in Jesus. That when you recognize all that God has given to you and you use those things for his ambition, it's like, I don't have to worry about that. There's no better way to live. And so, and as I live, I can give cheerfully because God's allowed me to have a part in this incredible plan. God's plan is, if you invest, I'll generously bless you. I don't know what those blessings are. I mean, they're so different. It doesn't mean, like some have thought, that if I give a $20 bill, I'll probably get a $40 bill sometime. Wait, what? What? Anybody seen a $40 bill? Sorry. I might get two $20 bills, you know, because I gave a... a, There's no promise of simply multiplication of that act. But here's what God does say. You'll never outgive God. That he always will provide for you abundantly. Your blessings will be so much greater than anything you invest in him. The floodgates will open. And it's a beautiful thing to experience as a child of God. I was in one church a few years ago, and it was, it was like this. It was a repurposed shopping area. Um, and the announcement guy, they have an announcement guy there too, Bill. Um, announcement guy says, in just a few moments, you know, or after the service, you can go to the giving boxes. And as soon as he said giving boxes, people are, and they cheered. And I said, what in the world? And then he said, and we thank you for your gifts. And, you know, here's some things that God has done through your gifts and ministry that's happening. So uh, after service, feel free. If God has prospered you, you can place a gift in the giving boxes. woo They cheer and they shout and they clap. And that's when it dawned on me, ah, the cheerful giver. They're taking this literally to say whenever we talk about generosity, we can cheer. Because we know that God's going to provide for his people. 
Giving to God is ministry. We are all called to minister, every one of us. And when you minister, a big smile creeps across your face. There's a little story I want, I want to, you to hear. It's on video. But it's a story that I think will help you understand the opportunities we have where we can invest in what God is doing and it, seeing the joy fill our hearts so abundantly. Watch this. I had an accident and my hip was broken in so many pieces. I have two rods in my hip. She's an angel among us. If you watch her in the bread company, everyone comes in to see Catherine. You know, we sell the bread, but I feel like there are some people who specifically come with prayer requests, and I go pray for them. One day when we were sharing, she said she was in need of a different car, that her car was needing expensive repairs. I had been saving money, but uh, I knew it wasn't enough, so I knew I will take a few years to save for it. So a couple of months later, I went in and I said, Catherine, how's your car fund coming? And she said, I gave it all away. And I looked at her and, and she said, there was a widow in need and I gave her the $5,000. I struggled a lot when I gave that money. And uh, I said, I feel okay, but uh, do you think I did the right thing? I mean, I cannot give what I don't have, so I just give what I had. I was shocked, and so I come home and I tell Pete that we needed to help Catherine with her car fund. He looked at me and he said, no, I think we need to buy Catherine a car. And I said, okay, great. Pete called Scott and said, do you know Catherine Gray Harvest? And he said, yes, he did. Pete said, well, we'd like to buy her a car. He asked Pete, do you want to use your new car? And it just hit him right in the face. Why would he ask me that? Of course I would want a used car. That's good enough. He just paused for a moment and he said, I want a new car. And he said it was silent on the phone for a few seconds. And Scott said, whoa, I want to help. And so he pitched in some. So she came to the bakery and uh, she asked me, if you were to buy a car, what kind of a car would you like? I said, Debbie, I'm not really planning to buy a car. But she said, oh, just tell me. And she said, I'd like a SUV cruise control. And she said, I'd like a light color. And we called Scott and he said, I think I've got the perfect car. So Pete said, can we deliver it tomorrow? So we have the bread company owner and his family, Scott and his family and our family. And Catherine sees us all coming in and she's just all excited to see everyone. 
and uh, I went to give them height and I said, what's Pete doing here? I did have the, the biggest idea. When I went out, <laughs> and so we walked her over to the car. We said, Catherine, this is your new car. So, oh, I said, for me, this is for me. I said, well, I, I knew God had many cars, but I didn't know he had a new one for me. So, God had new cars <laughs> for me. We all stood there in tears as we saw the joy on Catherine's face and we got to be a part of it. And the joy of that was unbelievable. So right, it was such an excitement to drive it. We told Catherine that we would like this to be confidential. But I kept running into people who would say, I heard what you did for Catherine. It wasn't even us, it was Catherine. It all started with Catherine giving of what she had to a widow to help her, and it just continues on. Generosity begets generosity. We don't give in order to receive. We give because it's the nature of Jesus Christ. He gave us his life. So we, we have the, the DNA of Jesus Christ of giving. <laughs> yeah, so this is one story I will never forget in my life. incredible reality that generosity begets generosity. We don't give because we have to. We give because it's the DNA of Jesus. It's what he's done for us. And this whole passage that we've looked at today is built upon the example of God who loved us so much and didn't withhold his one and only son, but freely gave him for us. You know, when you think of Jesus and his death on the cross, Scripture says that it was joy that was his motivation. Not, not that he would find joy in the cross, but he would find joy in the harvest from the cross. That he knew that as he was given his life of, for the Father in a sacrifice of his life, that an abundant of people would be reunited would be united with God because of it. In fact, here's what it says in Hebrews chapter chapter 12. He says, "We look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand." of the throne of God. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Man, I don't, I don't know that we can talk about generosity and a spirit of giving without going back to the really heart of it. And that's the heart of God. Might become rich. Isn't that a beautiful pattern of generosity? Jesus, who is at the center of heaven, having everything his, emptied himself and became a human, not just any human, but the son of an impoverished couple in old town of Nazareth, where Jesus would become poor. Not just living poor, but dying as a, an accused criminal so that we who were criminals could be set free and have the riches of heaven. Father, I pray that we would just contemplate that in our lives before we rush into this idea of now, I'm going to live a generous life, Lord. May we, may we pause and think, but the foundation of this generosity is yours to us. Because, Lord, living generously, though, though there's great joy, it's also difficult. Because the rest of the world doesn't seem to value it. So there's, we're going to be swimming upstream. So, Lord, we're going to need an example. We're going to need a foundation that's stronger than just emotional stories and, and motivation. We're going to need an eternal truth to bank our life on. So, Father, as we enjoy this time of communion, reminding ourselves of the broken body of your Son and his shed blood, Lord, may that spirit of giving become ours. So bless your people, Lord. Bless your people as we receive these things and we celebrate it together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The guys have communion elements and encourage you to take one if you're a follower of Jesus, take one of those and, and then hold on to that until everybody's received it. And then, and then we'll partake of it together. As it's being distributed, let's just take time to listen to Jesus. Let him speak to us. Maybe there's an area of selfishness that he wants to point out in our hearts. Maybe there's a spirit of stinginess that we've just come to be comfortable with. Maybe it's a spirit of condemnation that we look down on people that might not be as fortunate as we are. Father, examine our hearts today. watching online, this would be a great time for you to find a small piece of bread or a cracker, a small bit of juice. And we invite you to participate in this with us. We know that you can't be with us physically, but you're connected with us through the means of technology, and we welcome you here.
Hey, Jerry, would you mind bringing one up to me? Could I have one of those? Thank you. Oh, it's on the keyboard? I thought that was Eric's coffee. Nope. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you. So let's take these, uh, these items. You'll notice there's a small, clear cellophane there on the top that if you peel back, that will reveal the little wafer. This can remind us of that night that Jesus was with his disciples and concluding the Passover meal, he broke the bread and offered it to them and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. So let's together join with them and acknowledge his broken body and eating it together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving yourself for us. If you remove that foil wrapper that will expose the juice, reminding us of when Jesus took the cup at the end of the Passover and saying, this is the new covenant in my blood, drink this in remembrance of me. Let's remember his redemption and the price he paid for our, for our, for our sin. Let's remember him. Father, we thank you for being so kind and so generous to us, Lord. Thank you for not withholding your only son. Thank you for granting to us not just salvation from your wrath, but granting us out of your generosity the glories and splendor of heaven. And that heaven begins even now as your spirit can reside within us. So, Lord, I pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. May you, Lord, provide all that we need in these days ahead. We commit ourselves to giving, Lord, as you prosper us. As was said in the video, we can't give what we don't have. So, Lord, we just want to give what we have. We want that to be our life. As you prosper us, as you bless us, Lord, we we commit to blessing others as you lead us. So thank you for caring for us today. Now as we sing to you, Lord, I pray it would be from our hearts as we unite together in this incredible reality of we are yours. You're our Father. You'll meet our needs. And we can be a part of what you're doing in this world. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.